0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Hey everybody, welcome. Uh, Glad to have the chance to be with you and uh, study God's Word together. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and get into it. Praise God, if you would please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't know, I'm Pastor Vince. I do most of the Bible teaching here for Love City Church, and uh, I'm excited to do that with you right now. Now, I know that uh, many of you are experiencing fatigue right now. Um, We've been dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic now for several months, and all of the complications and implications and and passionate arguing around that. Uh, and now on top of that, we are reeling as a nation from the murder of George Floyd. I know that uh, many people of color have been exhausted over these issues for a long time. And many white folks uh, are, are tired from trying to understand it all and figure out what they can or what they should be doing. Uh, I also personally know police officers who are working around the clock trying to protect people's right to protest peacefully, while at the same time protecting the community from danger and destruction caused by violence. Um, And and because of that, because of the swirl of stimulation and and input that everyone is experiencing, I I want to keep this sermon tonight real short and to the point. I, I know there's probably people out there that'll be watching this right now that Let's just acknowledge it. You could be on on either side of a spectrum. Uh, There could be some of you who would have been absolutely stunned if we didn't address some of the cultural issues going on right now. Uh, There's some of you maybe that hope we wouldn't because you are so exhausted and you wanted some reprieve. But friends, I talked to you last week about us being called to be the salt of the earth. The church, which holds the word of God, the gospel, are the ones with the answer. We are commissioned by Jesus himself to care about these things. And so we need to speak about it from a biblical perspective. Bring truth to bear in Jesus' name. But we're going to keep it short tonight. I have one theme. And really the theme tonight is a plea. The plea is that in all the listening and thinking and reading and posting and talking that everyone is doing, That we hold the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ, his word, and his gospel. We have to hold to that. We have to believe it. All that we're saying and doing, what we're thinking, it has to flow from that. For Christ followers, responding to all the troubles that we're facing and the issues that we're navigating... There is a statement that we need to be able to make both fearlessly and lovingly. And what is that statement you ask? I hope you're asking. That statement is Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Now, I know. I know on what thin ice I tread right now. I know that many, even some who confess to know Christ, will scoff or even snarl at what I just said. But what I'm asking for is is a hearing. I'm going to ask you to suspend for a moment what you think I'm saying, to consider that it, it may not be a reductionistic escape hatch from the difficult discussions that need to be had. Because friends, what I'm proposing is that Jesus and his gospel are the compass that help us navigate the difficult discussions that need to be had while also directing and pushing us past dialogue and into action, right? We can't be just hearers of God's Word. We need to be doers. We can't just be hearers and talkers of God's Word. We need to be doers. Amen. My plea with you tonight is to check your heart and what is motivating you. Because the truth is, fear, hate, greed, emotions, public opinion, peer pressure, and even logic are all potential compasses as well but they are broken because of the sin and imperfection of humanity and they cannot be trusted as true guides. Many are feeling even more fatigued than they should because these other guides lead you in a never-ending circle, which normally ends in total exhaustion, bitterness, and blame-shifting. Now, I do want to be clear in saying this. We should not say, that Jesus is the answer, if we can't articulate why that's true. Because if there's nothing behind that, then it just comes across as a trite or or token answer. If we're not really engaging with what is going on, what's being discussed, what needs to be discussed. My hope today is to point you to the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ and his gospel in guiding us towards true hope and meaningful change. What I'm going to do first is I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 to you. It starts with one of the clearest gospel presentations in Scripture, then it moves into implications of the gospel. And I want you to pay close attention to what the, the mind and heart of the apostle is. He begins to think about, there's, in verse 11 we're going to see a turn where it says, therefore, I want you to just think about and, and pay attention to what the implications are of, of this truth of the gospel that, come out immediately as he's laying out this this line of thought. I'm going to ask you to read Ephesians 2 with me, keeping our current cultural moment in view. Does this speak to what we're going through? I hope you found Ephesians 2. Uh, If you've got a Bible or an app, I hope you do. Read along with me. Best case scenario is that your eyes are on these verses. If not, please just listen closely as I read this. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Let me stop just a moment and say something. Did you, did you hear that? According to the prince of the power of the air. Last week, we talked about the fact that our fight, our battle as Christians is not against flesh and blood. That's what Ephesians 6 says. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers, dark forces in the world. Do they use humans sometimes to accomplish what they're doing? Yes, but we have to remember who our battle's with. I want to, to drive this home, let me me tell you something. When I was in high school, I I did not follow Jesus, and I was a punk, just to be totally honest. And so there was like a career day thing happening, and they let us out of class, so I was happy about that. And you go into the gym, and, and there was different companies uh, people there to you know let people know about possible career options and there were representatives there from every branch of the military and so I spent the entire I don't know hour or so that they gave us to peruse and get all the pamphlets and whatever I I went from each different branch of the military and I started out I can't remember which one I was like hey what do you think about you know, if it was at the army what do you think about the marines and and the guys at the Army booth were like, ah, you know, they had some, some sideways comment about them. So then I went over to the Marine booth and said, hey, those guys are over at the Army booth? Here's what they said. And then they started talking trash about them and about the Navy booths. So and I ran over to the Navy booth. By the end of this thing, I had gone back and forth to every single one. I, was, I found this entertaining because I was a depraved sinner and couldn't, you know, didn't know any better, I guess, or just didn't care. By the end of this thing, all of these guys at the different branches of the military were ready to fight out each other out in the front yard of the high school. Why did I tell you that? The Army, the Navy, the Marines, and the Air Force, they're all on one team, right? Like, if foreign invaders would have popped up, they would have all supposed to be and worked together to protect the country that they're a part of. Yet they were all at each other's throats. This is the way Satan works. I was working like the forces of darkness in there, turning them against each other, and, and I was playing them because I found it amusing. Friends, we're being played by the forces of darkness, in many ways around everything that's going on right now. We can't have it. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we or his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Come on, friends, that's the gospel. It's not, by, it's not works. It's by grace alone. It's the gift of God that we are saved. The gospel is the great crown jewel of the scriptures. It is the truth of all truths. So what does that mean? What does the gospel have to do with What we're going through right now as a people. Verse 11 begins to unpack that. Therefore, since the gospel is true, since the gospel is as beautiful and powerful as we see described here, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision. What's that talking about? There's a distinction, right, between the line of Abraham down through Isaac and Jacob. It was the family that God chose and selected through which to accomplish the redeeming work of bringing Jesus Christ into the world, okay? So it was those, the, those descendants of Israel, and then everybody else were Gentiles. And the, the covenant of circumcision was part of the sign that showed that people belonged to the people of Israel, okay? Remember that you were at that time separate for, from Christ. So the, all the Gentiles, you were separate from Christ, excluded From the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. What? The two groups. The groups that had this distinction. Now he's making, the gospel has the power to bring them, to, not just to get them to quit hating each other, to make them into one new man, to be a part of one family, a part of one body. By abolishing his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The gospel, friends, is the only force, only power in the world that can take people beyond false peace or behavioral peace, and actually melt down their hearts of ice, crush their hearts of stone, give them new hearts, and bind them together in a meaningful and eternal way, it changes everything. It's the only force or power in the world, the gospel, that can bring about what it is we're all really hoping for. It's the only thing that can crush the power of sin See, we were all dead in our trespasses. We all walked according to the prince of the power of the air. Everybody. Nobody got out of that. We are all imperfect sinners. But the gospel is what changes hearts. Praise God. I'm not, I am not proposing here that heart changes is all we need. I'm not proposing here that dealing with sin at the spiritual level is the only thing we need, right? Faith without works is dead. The outflow of changed hearts, the outflow of the power of the gospel transforming people who used to hate each other to now not only love each other, but be bound together in a mission far greater than either of them individually. To let people know there is hope, to let all of the rest who are far off from God held down in the slavery of sin, that there is freedom in Christ to make us a part of the greatest mission that anyone has ever been a part of. Hallelujah. There is is much that, that then follows that transformation, but without that transformation that comes through the power of Christ and his gospel, we will continually chase our tails in solutions that will maybe work temporarily at best. The only hope for the world is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Can you say that? That's part of my plea with you tonight. Can you say with confidence that Jesus is the answer? That his gospel is the answer? Friends, if you can, I'm asking you, consider Ephesians 2. Consider what else we're going to see here. It It is well known that The human body has a response to difficult, dangerous, or stressful situations. The body releases a hormone. It's called cortisol. And that is commonly referred to as the fight or flight hormone. And this is a natural response that we have to certain stressors. But it often seems like this type of response bleeds over into how we deal with people as we address issues like injustice. And injustice is an issue. It's an issue with God, and so it should be an issue with us. But we are called, that we have this natural response, and it, it, it tends to bleed into just not, not just when we're being chased by a bear or you know, whatever it's meant to do naturally in our bodies. It, it, this fight-or-flight thing gets a hold of us at a deeper level, and it begins to affect the way we deal with people. But remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. We are called to be a supernatural people, not just run by natural factors, and we are not bound to the binary of fight or flight in how we respond to and deal with one another as we address sin and brokenness in this world. We, as God's people, we don't run backwards in fear, and we, when we're dealing with people, we don't run backwards in fear. We don't run forwards to fight. We walk in love, pointing people to our king who rules over the only kingdom where perfect justice can be found. Amen. I said that we get, we get pushed into this binary in the way we deal with people. Some people are more prone to fight. Some are more prone to flight. What does it look like if, if fight is more your flavor? Well, it, it can mean a lot of things. But in this current cultural moment, some of what I'm seeing is that there are those that they seem to demand that followers of Jesus must topple unjust systems in order to be faithful to the legacy of our master. I've seen lots of memes about Jesus flipping tables in the temple. One thing I think we need to consider, I'm not saying it's it's never the godly thing to do to flip a table if, if in the same motivations as what Jesus was, but I think we need to be a lot slower and more careful about thinking that Jesus flipping tables means I should flip tables because one factor that we're oftentimes forgetting is that Jesus was perfect. His motives were always perfect. His knowledge was always perfect. Is yours? Is mine? No. No. Passion must be tempered by humility. Passion for justice is godly, but it must be tempered by the humility of understanding that no matter how passionate you are, you still have blind spots. You know that, right? We have to know that. But there are those that seem to be at least insinuating, if not outright saying, that unjust systems have to be toppled and that's the w- that if you're doing anything less than fighting for that, you're not holding true to the legacy of our master, King Jesus. And, and, and in that also is that, as if to say that only those who benefit from a corrupt system would dare question the idea that that's the only answer, is to topple unjust systems. But when, 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 you, when you insist on that, it exposes a tragically ironic privilege bias. And, and, and that's often the time, if you find yourself on, on this side of the fence, that's oftentimes what you're upset about, are those privilege biases. But think about this. If if toppling unjust systems is the the only way to be faithful to the legacy and the commandments and the teachings of Jesus, what do we say then to brothers and sisters in Christ who live under the boot of actual totalitarian regimes where even to question publicly the powers in charge means imprisonment and death? What do we say to them? Do we say to them that if if they're cowards for not organizing marches and protests, where they will surely be killed immediately for it? Or is it possible that there are also other ways that change can take place? Protest and making the voice of the oppressed heard is absolutely legitimate. And very well, it could be a a pivotal part of how it is we address injustice in this country, but we have to be careful that we don't only think through the lens of our Western experience or our American experience. We can protest here. We have brothers and sisters around the world that if, If they make a peep towards that way, much like the time of Jesus, do you know what the Jewish leaders got Jesus crucified for? They came and implied to the Roman officials that Jesus was stirring up trouble and stealing away from their power and implying he was king over the Jews. That's what they tried to rile everything up with. That's what they tried to stir up to get him crucified. There are places where that's still the case today. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that, They have to pray silently and work person to person, sharing the beauty and hope of the gospel. Believing that over time the more hearts that become full of love instead of being full of hate, full of light instead of full of darkness, that change can happen that way. Some people are prone to fight and in their passion imply that if everyone isn't going at things the way they are, that they don't care or that they're not honoring Jesus. That's not true. Some, on the other side, are prone to flight. What does that look like? Well, it looks like oftentimes denying the problems of racism and injustice. Now, I think we need to say this. To be totally intellectually honest, we don't know. We don't know for sure if specifically the death of George Floyd was racially motivated. We don't know. None of us have been able to get into the mind of Derek Chauvin. We don't have testimony yet from outside sources who may have known that that was the case. It doesn't matter. Injustice and racism are are two separate issues. They do oftentimes dovetail. But in this situation, because George Floyd was a black man, now the the standing issues and problems of, of racism and how that sometimes ties into injustice and ties into people in authority abusing others, it it all comes together. And so that's the conversation. That's what we're dealing with. That's what we, as God's people, need to be able to engage with in this moment. And all the time, really. Oftentimes, how people take flight away from these issues is by saying something That maybe sounds clever, but it's unhelpful. They'll say things like, well, I don't see color. Friends, the biblical approach, the biblical approach to ethnic and cultural diversity is not trying to be blind to it. The biblical approach is that we see it and celebrate it. Cultural and ethnic diversity is God's idea. It's a part of why he's such an absolute beautiful, artistic designer incredibly creative how do we why am i saying that why is that a biblical ethic that we don't just see diversity but we celebrate it we celebrate it well we can see it from the beginning because we look at the fact that we have two original parents adam and eve that means that god put into them the genetic potential for all of the beauty that we see in ethnic diversity which then spawned into cultural diversity, right? Because the Tower of Babel, everyone, everyone was together. Everyone did have one language, assumedly a fairly homogenous culture. And with everyone together, they started to feel so great about themselves, they were going to build a tower to heaven and prove you know, how great they were. Pride seized their hearts. So it was God's idea to come down, confuse their languages, which surely he knew was going to create a separating of not only ethnic groups, but cultures as well. God delights in these differences. God created ethnic distinction in the nation of Israel, right? He calls Abraham by faith. Abraham responds, has a son named Isaac, who has a son named Jacob, who has 12 sons. It's through that line. God created a separate ethnic group in Israel. God did that. <laughs> Why? Well, he had a purpose. He set them aside and was using them for his specific grand big purpose of bringing Jesus into the world to redeem us from our sins but he was also using them in their time and place as a as a lighthouse and a an example to all other people groups of the goodness and power of God amen we went to the beginning we see all through the middle God recognizes and and doesn't shy away from the fact of, of ethnic and cultural diversity And it's not that ethnic and cultural diversity are the result of sin, because they are still recognized in eternity. If you go to Revelation 5, what does it say? It says that that there will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him and giving him glory. The distinctions are still there. Why? Because they're good. We have to get rid of this idea that what it means to become one, as Ephesians talked about, to be taken... as from different people groups and be brought together at one, it doesn't mean we check all of those distinctives at the door. God means for them to come together, to make us better, stronger groups together. Ethnic diversity, cultural diversity is God's idea. It's part of how he made the planet more beautiful, and it's part of how he makes his bride more powerful. Because we are better and more well-rounded. We're smarter and stronger together. This is God's idea Hallelujah. Amen. Fight or flight is not our way as Christ followers. God's word and Christ's gospel offer us a third way. And that's laid out in Colossians 3. I'm going to read you the first 17 verses of Colossians 3. I know I read the entire chapter of Ephesians 2, and now I'm going to read you a bunch more verses, but friends, the point of this sermon, if I can remind you, is to plead with you to look to God and his word first, and let what you do or say or read or watch be subject to his truth first. I know you are being inundated by so many voices, intelligent voices and passionate voices, some unintelligent voices and, and some passionate voices that, man... What they're passionate about is dead wrong. It's a big mess. And I know it can be exhausting, but friends, this is not something we can shy away from. We can't bury our heads in the sand. We as God's people are called to be salt and light in the world. We have to, because of our love for God and our love for people, be able to think biblically about these issues, to be able to speak lovingly about these issues. fight or flight, we're not stuck in that binary. I'm going to read you Colossians 3. Ephesians 2 gave us this beautiful layout of the the power of the gospel, gave us implications of the gospel, that because of the gospel, now people groups who would have been separated, there was a wall between them. That wall is abolished because of the power of the gospel. Because the gospel tells us we were all sinners wherever we stood or thought we stood, whatever divisions we thought we, we were all sinners in the same spot and we all come to the same door to find salvation. Jesus is that door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then we are grafted in, brought together, made into one. One church, one holy house for God, one bride of Christ, one army for the purposes of God's kingdom being advanced in the world. We're made one. That's way better than just peace between two groups, isn't it? And what else can do that? It's only the gospel. It's only God. Let me read you. You're hearing a lot about what what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Colossians 3 lays out some some conduct, some practical. Ephesians was more the theory of what we're talking about. This is, this is the next step. This is what to do. And I know a bunch of people have given you a bunch of next steps. I, I get that. I'm asking you to come to God's word for them. See where they line up with the things. other. I'm not saying all the things other people are saying need to be thrown away. Some of them may be very good, but they must line up with God's word or else we're going to chase our tail. We're going to be more exhausted. We're not going to actually address any of the issues. We're not really going to be able to do any damage to the forces of darkness, which is what we all want. We want Satan, sin, and death, and all the pain that they bring into our world. We want racism to die. We want to deal a death blow to them. We're going to need God's power to do it. Human strength, human ideas isn't going to get it done, friends. It's not. Colossians 3, first 17 verses. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, when you also will be revealed with him in glory, therefore consider the members of your earthly bodies dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked, remember that, in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put those aside, saint. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Friends, that's what I'm talking about. The gospel has the power to change people all the way down on the inside to give them new hearts. We absolutely should call out and we absolutely should stand against corrupt and unjust systems, but those systems are made by men and women. Those systems are upheld by men and women. What's going to change them? It's the gospel. It's the freedom that comes in Christ. The renewal in which there's now no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This is the power that we need. This is the playbook we gotta be running if we're gonna win this fight. And we have to remember who the enemy is. It's not one another. We don't do fight or flight against one another. We don't run from each other and we don't run at each other to fight. We have an enemy. All of us. Humanity, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you so also should you? How do we do that? How do we forgive anyone we have a complaint against? How is that possible? The pain is so real and so deep. We look to Jesus who forgave us. We remember we have clear eyed vision about who and what we were aside from Christ. How broken and sinful and hopeless we were. How far off we were. How imperfect we still are as we seek to grow in sanctification and becoming more like Jesus. We need kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We need forgiveness. Beyond all these things, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. How are we gonna have unity, friends? We're gonna have to be overcome, overwhelmed with love. How do we do that? The only chance we have is to look to the cross of Christ. We can't even understand what love is without looking at the cross of Christ. Love belongs to God. God is love. We, we only have the chance of experiencing and giving love because of God. True love, real love. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about love. Self-sacrificial love that says, I'm going to do what's best for you, even if it costs me. Especially if it costs me. I'm willing to lay down what's good for me for your betterment. That's love. It's what we're called to. And above all, it says, we got to put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's what this sermon is about. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. There's a lot of other words dwelling in you all right now. The word of Christ has to richly dwell in us with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Friends, I read you a description of the power that we need. The source of that power is Christ in his gospel, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I read you the implications of that. That it does among humans what only it can do. Radical things. Beautiful things. Taking those who were separated by all these different distinctions and making us one. And I've read you Colossians 3. Which takes us beyond discussions and conversations and into action. Because that's what it's going to take. But this all has to be fueled by an understanding that only the only chance we have for any of this, to mean anything, is if we see Jesus and his gospel as the answer. If we see God's word as the place that we run to for instruction first and foremost. Again, there are other sources of wisdom. There are other sources of learning. There are other voices that can be helpful, but they must be subject to. They, whatever, it, whatever they are proposing, it must line up with. And in best case scenario, flow out of Conviction of the truth of God's word. The beauty and power of his gospel. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Who came and lived a perfect life. Died in our place for our sins and then rose from the grave. And now men and women by faith can come to God. Be called righteous by trusting in the good word of God. Which says that yes we are sinners. That we are hopeless apart from him. but That if we come to him and bow our knee to him. He will save us. He will give us the gift of salvation and righteousness through faith. You can't earn it. It comes by trusting Him. Will you trust Him? Will I trust Him? And will we let that trust move from beyond a personal experience of salvation? Will we let let it move out into the world and begin to affect the pain and the hurt and push back against the darkness that tries to envelop all of us? God help us. I'm, I'm calling to you, church. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you this week to read Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3, 1-17 through 17, every single day. If you're doing a Bible reading plan and, and, and you want to sub it out for the next week because you don't have time for both, that's fine. But I'm asking every single person to read Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3, verses 1-17 through 17, every single day this upcoming week. I... I we need the word of Christ to richly dwell in us. We need to be convinced and convicted of the reality that it is Christ and his gospel alone that offers hope. Now and for eternity. Will you do that? Every day for the next seven days. And I pray that as we do that together, that we would be convinced of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ and his word to guide Us in the days ahead. I love you. Even if you're frustrated by what I'm saying, even if you think what I'm saying is is because of a lack of understanding. And friends, let me just say this: I I know that's possible. I know I still have blind spots. I'm still growing and learning too. We if we don't stay in that posture for the rest of our lives, we're sunk. I want to keep growing, learning, listening. I want my passion to be tempered with the humility of knowing that I am just a mere man. Jesus, help us. We need his help with all of that. Will you pray with me to that end? Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. First of all, we thank you for the privilege of access. Thank you that we get to come to you as your children and bring our needs before you, our praise before you. God, we love you. Lord, I pray right now for our nation. I pray, God, for the hurt. I pray for deep, long-standing pain, scars that have been there a long time, Lord Jesus, you are the great physician. You are the one that can go in and do the surgery on hearts that is required for real change at the individual level, at at the cultural level, at the system level. Lord Jesus, it's you. May we believe in your supremacy and your sufficiency. May we believe in the power of your word, God. Help us not to allow ourselves to be relegated and shuffled off into a corner as if we're just religious nuts, overzealous about our sacred text. God, may we see that your word is the word. You're the eternal one, the one who spoke and created all things. It is by your authority that this world exists and is sustained. And thus what you say on the matter rises above all other opinions, knowledge, and information. May these things guide us. May we be filled with passion for your name and and your glory and for your power. Lord, I ask you to increase our capacity for love. Continue to reveal to us more and more how beautiful and powerful your love is and may we reflect it well to the people and the culture around us. Lord, please continue to show us what it means not to take flight from people and and back away in fear of difficult issues, but God, help us also not run towards and and, and, in a fighting posture as if clashing with other humans is what's going to change something. Thank you, Lord, that you have made clear in your word we have an enemy, the prince, the power of the air, that our battle's not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers with dark intentions and plans and schemes that they're working. God, I pray against division. I pray, I join you, Lord Jesus, in that priestly prayer In John 17, that we would be one as you and the Father are one. That first your church would rise up in love-motivated unity for our good and for your glory. That we would serve one another. That we would love one another. And then that we would take that out into the streets, out into the culture, out to those that don't know you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that ultimately we know in the end that justice is done that every injustice, everything that's been made wrong by sin is going to be made right. We take comfort in that. But Lord, we don't want to just look forward to that and just hunker down until then. We know you've called us to participate, to bring an answer, to stand against evil and darkness. Please help us to do that well. We love you. We honor you. And we worship you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.